Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, I think the world around us doesn't understand the things that we were just singing about. Um, they might have a sense that God is good and all that, but when we can sing, you know, through the fire, through the difficulties, through the troubles, that in all of that, God has been so, so good to me. And the reason they don't understand is because they don't have a relationship with him. Because they, they don't have a relationship with him, their hearts haven't been changed. Because their hearts haven't been changed, it's hard for them to grasp some of what Christianity is really all about. And so I I think a lot of people think that Christianity, if you really want to be a Christian, it's a hard thing. First, they have a misconception thinking they got to somehow rather become good enough to become a Christian. Now, most of us here today, maybe all of us know, can you ever become good enough to become a Christian? No, no, no. That's the whole point, isn't it? That we're not good enough, but Jesus was perfect son of God, lived a sinless life, dies on the cross for our sins, rises from the dead and offers us forgiveness and eternal salvation by just placing our faith in him. And then he goes to work on us from the inside out, doesn't he? Helping us to become the kind of people he made us to be, intends for us to be. And it's in those things that we begin to experience, wow, God has been faithful God is being good. Even through these hard, hard things, God doesn't waste our pain. But the world is not totally just out of, uh, I don't know how to say it, uh, not just totally making, make believe about the idea of being a Christian being hard. Because there is a hard side to following Jesus. There is a hard side It is a hard side, but yet when we come to understand it properly, we start to see that it's part of God's goodness and part of his faithfulness in our lives. So we're going to start four sermons here where we're going to talk about this idea, the hard side of following Jesus. So let's just jump right into it today. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be on page 1203 in the Bible that's under the chairs there. And I always encourage you, if you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have a Bible in your phone, pick up one of those and follow along. It'll be helpful to you. Luke chapter 14. Jesus has been in preaching and teaching and, and challenging people. He's, he's been teaching things that are encouraging and, and other things that are kind of like, whoa, he really said that? Like he said... Uh, Uh, a a chapter or two before this, he says, don't think that I've come to bring peace. Now, didn't we just at Christmas celebrate that? Glory to God and peace on earth. We talked about that, that uh, we can have peace with God and one day he'll bring peace to the earth. But he says, people are going to be divided over me, over who I am. It's going to create divisions in, in lives and relationships. And, and so this is the context coming into here, our passage. So let's start in verse number 25. Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000, or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, we ask you to teach us your word, that your spirit would uh, enlighten our understanding, um, that we would be able to understand what is being said and what it means in our lives and what you would like us as individuals, personally before you, how you would have us respond. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the hard side of following Jesus, hate your family. Hate your family. Bear your cross. Count the cost. Now, what does this mean for us? There was a pastor in in World War II era Germany named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wrote a book, The Cost of Discipleship, which really challenged me a number of years ago. But he said this, he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's hard, isn't it? To follow Christ. You're talking about giving up your life and everything that goes along with it. Well, what is the Lord talking about here? I mean, it says that large multitudes were following him and he told them this. What do you suppose happened to those crowds after this? (laughs) Jesus, that's not the way we build the crowd, right? And he says, no, you're right. That isn't the way we build a crowd. We're not building a crowd. We're building his church, his body. So anyway, what is, what's the deal here? What's going on? So let's, let's think about this. He, he says three times, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple if these things are not the way you're approaching your life. So what is he talking about? What is a disciple? What do we mean by disciple? And well, I work through a lot of definitions here, but just try to simplify it like this. A disciple is a person who puts his faith in Christ as Savior and Lord and lives accordingly. Right? He puts his faith in Christ as Savior and Lord and lives accordingly. Uh, in other words, we talk all the time about this gospel, right? That, that we are lost, we are sinners, we've sinned against the holy God, we offended him, we are condemned to hell, but how he loved us and sent Jesus to be our Savior and, and how we can receive him by faith and every sin forgiven, eternal life, all of that we talk about all the time. But, but you don't get to receive Jesus Savior without receiving him as Lord as well. Same person. 
In fact, Paul says in Romans, he says uh, that if we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. But so Paul there starts off with not the, the, the Savior part, but he starts off with the his Lord part. We, we agree, with, this is what this word confess means, we agree, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is who the Bible said he was, right? He is the Son of God. Come down to earth as a human being to do the things that the Bible says he did. So he is Lord. When you receive Christ as Savior, you also receive him as Lord. And you may not necessarily always be conscious of that or even realize what it all means, but you did. You can't get one without the other. All right? So a disciple is someone who has come to faith and believes and also is, has a Lord now. And what's the idea of a Lord? The Lord is the one who leads, isn't he? He's the one who is overall. He's the one who calls the shots. He's the one who determines here's what we need to do. Here's how we need to do it. Here's when we need to do it. All those kinds of things. And so we, as those who have come to faith in Christ, should live accordingly, not just the fact that we are forgiven and have a new life, and that is so good. But we need to live as those who have a Lord who is doing something and that we are a part of it. And we need to, to cooperate with him in that and follow him in those things. So simply, that's, that's a disciple. Um, let me just look here. So here's a question for you. Is there a difference then in being a believer in Jesus for salvation and being a disciple? Is there a difference? Well, we aren't all, and in our lives we haven't always lived like disciples. So what's the deal? What's going on? Well, the Bible does make a theological distinction between being a believer and being a disciple. Let me show you how this works. Ephesians chapter 2. We know this, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. So how much did it cost you to receive Christ as Savior? What did you have to pay to receive Christ as Savior? Nothing. Nothing. You just had to really just open up and say, okay, Lord, I, I accept it, I receive it, I believe. That's all you had to do. Cost you nothing. But it doesn't end there. The very next verse, he says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that we should live these ways. And so this is what this idea of discipleship is and how we ought to be living as his disciples, as his followers. And so in, in one sense, getting saved cost us nothing. And the next thing, living, like, living for Christ in one sense costs us Everything. We now belong to him. And you say, boy, this is hard. I don't know if I like this or not too much. Hang in there. Um, so I think the intent is that a genuine believer, genuine believer, is it possible to not really be, to say you're a believer and not be? Is it? Yeah, certainly you can have a, a cursory faith or a, a surface faith or or go along with the crowd faith and all that and never have personally actually come into that relationship with Jesus. That's possible. 
But we're talking about people who, who sincerely came to that point in their lives where they received Christ as Savior. They knew they needed a Savior and they accepted Christ as Savior. God's intent is that every person who comes into the family, a believer, that every believer grow and mature and live as a disciple. Someone who understands what it means to be saved and have Jesus Lord and lives that way. That's his intent. I want you to think about this in, in life, just to, with respect to human beings, just human beings in general. Don't we expect infants to grow up to be mature humans? We hope so, don't we? And when adult humans are still immature, it's really not acceptable. And I think I would say to you that we have a lot of that in our society today, a lot of young people who grew up and never became mature adults. It wasn't their fault. It's how they were raised and what they were taught. Uh, but that's a problem, isn't it? The idea is that infants who are all about themselves need to grow up and become mature and understand that it isn't all about them and live accordingly. Well, it's the same thing for us as believers. Believers should grow to be mature disciples. That's God's intent. And when a believer does not grow to maturity as a disciple, it's, that's unacceptable. And that's not God's way. That's not God's plan. Can you do it? Can you be immature? Can you not live like a disciple? Yeah, but you shouldn't, right? In fact, just think of this, because I've wrestled with this a lot this week. I've wrestled with it off and on over the years. And I'm, I'm pretty confident of where I've, I've landed on this, but here's a question for you. The way Jesus is talking about it, the way the Bible talks about it, to be a believer is to grow into a mature disciple. That's the plan. That's the purpose. Can, here's the question, can a genuinely saved person, can you be genuinely saved and then choose not to be a disciple? Well, you know, as you struggle, it gets hard because you, depending on how you want to define things and talk about it, you can really, you know, wrestle with that. Um, because if, if believers are disciples, right? If we say believe, every believer is a disciple. Jesus says, if you don't live this way, you can't be my disciple. Which, what would that imply about their belief? Well, here's the thing. In the, the Bible, there's just no provision made for this. There's no sense in the Bible in which there are two acceptable classes of Christians. Those who are, have believed and are following Christ and those who have just believed and have not following Christ. In other words, the Bible doesn't present the option of, well, I've been saved, but you know what? That's enough for me. I don't want that rest of that stuff. The Bible doesn't present that option. Now, I think it's, it's, we understand the theology that we are saved by grace through faith. We are absolutely saved. There's no works required. You, you don't have to say, okay, I, Jesus, I'm going to become a disciple, so now you can save me. No, right? It's just, God, I need you. I, I need to be saved. I need forgiveness. And, and, and so that is clear. You can do that. But I want you to know that it's not okay to stay there. 
You can, just like a human being can grow up and be immature. You can do that. But that's not God's intention. That's not his desire. And nor is he going to, if you've genuinely received Christ, nor is he going to just let you do that. He's going to work in your lives and keep challenging you and keep bringing to you. Now, let me say this, that, that believers all the time are capable of, and we've all done it, we're capable of from time to time not living like disciples, aren't we? Yes. Man, I, I was genuinely saved. I can tell you that. It's absolutely, if I'm not saved, it's because nobody's saved because it ain't true. Okay? But it is true. I'm saved. I know that. And I've had plenty of times in my life, whether for a short period or longer period, this issue or that issue, whatever, where I have not been living like a follower of Christ. And for some people, that lasts a long time for whatever reasons. So that can all happen. But here's what will happen for that, that the person who's genuinely saved and is, in, is, is not doing that. You know what they're going to do? They're going to struggle with that. Inside, they're going to know this isn't right. Inside, they're going to feel the tug of God saying, come on, follow me. The Lord Jesus, follow me. And so I would say this today, is if you would say, well, yes, I've been saved. And yeah, I'm, I'm really not interested in being that discipleship stuff you're talking about. And, and I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me. If you can say that today, I would challenge you that you may very well not be saved. You may still be in your sins. You may still be condemned because when God saves you, he changes you. And it doesn't mean you become perfect. doesn't mean you don't mess up. doesn't done that, but it's something different on the inside that keeps tugging. You, you will care. Does that make sense? Okay. So what I want you to see is that this is God's intent for us. Um, and this might be a new idea to you. And if what I've said in the last couple of minutes that makes you uncomfortable, that might be a good thing. Because maybe you need to start a real relationship with Christ. Or if, you, if you're already generally saved and you need to just take, okay, Lord, here I am. I need to go forward. What do I need to do? And I want you to know we can't, we're talking about this hard stuff, right? Um, you can't live this life in your own strength. And, you know, I'll probably try to remind you that a little later here this morning. But you can't do it in your own strength. And the good news is you don't have to. Because when you say, oh, God, I want to live for you. Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to live this way. And I don't seem to be able to. He will enable you to. Right? He'll work in your life and help you, grow you. He's so, so good to us. All right. So let's zero in here on the first of these things that Jesus talks about that are a requirement for people who are following him, for his disciples. Verses 25 and 26, again, let's read them. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Man, just on the face, it sounds like he says what? Hate your family. And I don't know about you, I, if someone came along and said, message of Christianity is hate your family, I'd go, oh, that doesn't sound very Christian to me. What's the deal? But yet, 
Is this what Jesus said? If you don't hate your family here, you can't be my disciple. If you don't hate your own life, you can't be my disciple. Once again, society says, oh, no, you need to love yourself and love your life. And, and, and I understand why they're saying that. But this sounds so contrary to that, doesn't it? You know, how, how can this be? Well, let's understand. It will help if we understand. Anytime we're reading our Bibles, uh, this stuff happened like 2,000 years ago, right? Has the world changed any? Yes. The truth hasn't changed. What Jesus is saying hasn't changed, but the culture has changed, uh, at least for us in America. It hasn't changed around the world. In Jesus' day, the family unit, the family relationship was the most important thing in people's lives. The worst thing that you could do would be to bring shame on your family. You know, there are cultures in the world. Glenda and I were just watching the testimony of a man who used to be a Hezbollah fighter who came to Christ. And how and he talks about his family disowning him, putting him out. His father on multiple times tried to kill him. This is the culture, kind of culture in which Jesus is talking, where family was so important and came first before all else in someone's life. And so Jesus here challenges that with respect to who he is in people's lives. And this word hate can mean hate like we think, but it also can mean this. It's a comparative term, all right? In, in, in Jesus' day, if someone were trying to settle priorities, you know, what comes first here? They would say, well, I love this and I hate that. Meaning what? This that I love comes first. And so this is what Jesus is saying here. He says, when it comes to me, Comparison to me, you hate your family. Meaning what? I come first. He's not talking about that emotion of hate and I want to get them. It's, it's like when you keep telling your, you're an adult, you keep telling your adult mom, no mom, I can't do that. I don't do that anymore. I don't, well, why, you hate me now or something? You get the idea? It's a strong comparative term is what he's saying. And so, Here's, here's how we might say it for ourselves. Jesus and living for him comes before every relationship I have and every person I know, including myself. All right, now, I wrote this in the first person on, on, on purpose. I don't want you to think, wow, that's cool for Walt. No, let's say it together. Can we read it out loud together here? Let's read it out loud, ready? Jesus and living for him comes before every relationship I have and every person I know, including myself, all right? And so, um, what this means is this, Jesus comes first, period, right? That's, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Yes. Jesus comes first, period, before every relationship I have, before every person I know, and especially before me, before myself. So what does this mean, this passage for us then, in some practical way, trying to sort it out for ourselves? 
So following Jesus, I think we could say means these things for sure. First is you may have to walk away from people you love. You may have to. You may find yourself in, in, you know, living in a household that is just become so antagonistic towards you and trying to live for Christ that you have to leave it. Okay. Now, let me tell you, you have to be careful because this can never be. I'm fed up with you guys. I'm sick and tired of this and I am out of here because I'm following Jesus. That's not the way it goes. This would happen with tears. Not with angry, raised voice. And it may just be, remember you're saying no to yourself? It, it may just very well be that Jesus will say, no, I want you to hang in there because they need you there. They need you there. So the idea is, is either way, what we're having to say is, Jesus, you come first in this situation, right? But just know there are times, especially other cultures in the world, this is very real. And it could be a real on occasion here that, that you have to walk away from people you love. When I say walk away, it doesn't mean you still don't have any contact, you don't care, you don't try to reach out. We're not saying that. But if it comes, push comes to shove and you can't, you can't do what Jesus wants you to do in this situation, then you need to walk away from it because he comes first. Second thing, you may have to live with tension from people you love. This was more my experience uh, I mean, you, you may find yourself with, you know, the, the relationships where people, yeah, they're bothered by the fact that you're saying what you say now. They're bothered by the fact that you're living the way you live. And, and you, you feel all the time, there's things that aren't spoken, right? There's unspoken things. And you figure that when you leave the room, they are spoken. Tension. And uh, when I came to Christ, 19 years old, I grew up in a church that was not really committed to the Bible being the word of God and, and the lordship of Jesus. Uh, it, was kind of, it was just a struggling church with struggling with liberalism. Uh, and my parents, we were going there and they quit and they left because of some stupid stuff that happened. And my brother and I continued going. I've, my senior year of high school, I started attending a, a, a church that preached the Bible and got saved about a year and a half later. A little hard head here. It took me a long time. But I was saved. And then all of a sudden, I'm, now I'm telling my parents. They need to know. They need to know the gospel. They need to be saved, right? And I'm trying to tell them. I'm trying to explain to them. Next thing you know, I'm in arguments with them about stuff and all this kind of thing. And I can, I, you know, I can just, I don't have a lot of specific memories. But knowing me, I'm sure I did not go about it the right way. <laughs> But I genuinely cared, and, and I was so excited about the Word of God and the, what God said in there was true, and we could understand it. I mean, all that kind of stuff. So I'm trying to do this, and it became tense. There were hard conversations. I, I reached a point my, about my second year of University of Missouri, and um, I said, I want to I go to, to um, Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. And my folks were paying for college, and they said, nope. No, I'm not going to do that. By the way, you know, I, I had some good teaching at the time and people who spoke in my life, and, and I took that at that time as God's guidance. I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I finished the University of Missouri before I went off to Bible college for a lot of reasons. But the point is, there was tension there. It was a struggle. Um, but what could I do? What was my option? 
give in and say, okay, mom, dad, I'll, I'll, I'll live the way you want me to live or follow Jesus. And I'm not saying, oh, I'm a hero. I didn't put that as my point. But the idea is there's, there's no option there, right? You see, Jesus comes first, even if it produces tension in relationships. Don't let your stupidity produce tension in relationships. But if following Jesus produces tension, then live with it because you've got to follow Jesus. He comes first. Third thing, you'll probably have to say no to what people you love want from you or for you. You know, I've known young people who grew up and maybe they were growing up, they were thinking about being an attorney or being a doctor or maybe a college professor, whatever. They're doing this and along the way they come to Christ and then they, they feel God calling them. They want to be a missionary. They really, they, it's in their hearts. God has put it there to go someplace else in the world. And mom and dad say, no way. They have this vision of what they want this to be. They want you to be this person, this this dignified person making a good living. They want you to be there. They want their grandkids close. They want all this kind of stuff and they, they push the opposition to you. I've seen that happen. And sadly, I've seen kids go both ways. I've seen them give in and then it, they just, whatever. But I've also seen them say, no, mom and dad, I'm sorry, I gotta follow Jesus and go and do it. Um, and they have to. If you're a believer in Christ, genuinely saved, you have to follow Jesus. He has to come first. And then really the fourth one here, and in some ways in our lives, probably the most difficult one, the hardest one, you absolutely will have to say no to yourself on a regular basis. Because you're a work in progress. Uh, you know, I want to be as nice to you as I can, but I want to tell you that when the day that you came to Christ, you were still a mess, okay? It might look good to everybody around you. It might look good the way the world thinks, but compared to where you should be with Christ, your life is a mess. And he's been working on you ever since. And some of you are harder cases than others. <laughs> I am, okay? But God goes to work in our lives. And, um, but he has to keep telling us no to things. There's things I wanted to do in my life that the Lord just... I knew he didn't want me to do it, and then sometimes he shut a door on it. Just know, you, you know, this is what I want for me. This is going to be better for me. I will be free. I won't have to deal with this and this and this. I want to go do that. And, and the Lord says, uh, no, I want you to follow me. And that's not following me. Staying here and dealing with this hard stuff. That's following me. And I, I'm, you know, you're, you each have your own specific details and you have to seek the Lord in that. I can't tell you exactly what you should be doing. We can give some good counsel, but we can't. And so this, this idea that Jesus comes first. Now, does this on the face of it seem like a hard thing? Hey, you, compared to me, you've got to hate your family. That seems hard, doesn't it? Okay, I get it. But as hard as it might seem, the best thing you could ever do for your loved ones and for yourself is to put Jesus first. This is the best thing you could ever do. Because let me tell you, when you put Jesus first, man, he goes to work in your life. And so even with, you think about me, just to use my example. 
when I, and I said, I came on strong, I, I'm sure with my parents and didn't do it all right. And there was a resistance and the tension. And I, but the fact that I continued to follow Jesus, he changed me. He changed how I see the world. He changed how I viewed my parents. He changed how I even respond and interact with people. He grew me up. He matured me so much so that eventually I was able to have a conversation with my father, and I may have said this in here, and if, if you've heard it before, bear with me. But right down here at my house, sitting at my dining room table one day, I can't remember how long ago it was, but he was sitting there and we were talking. I was talking again about the gospel with a different attitude now. <laughs> but, but he said, he said, well, could you be wrong? And everything in me wanted to say, guess what? No. And it hit me. The Holy Spirit just pulled me back a little bit and said, tell him the truth. The truth is, yeah, Dad, I could be wrong, but I am persuaded. I am convinced that, not that I'm right, but that he's right. And I tell you, as sure as I'm standing here, my dad sitting there, it's like he went and relaxed. Now he could hear me because it wasn't about me anymore. It's about What's really true here? And what do you need, Dad? And, and eventually my dad came to a place where he settled his salvation once and for all and received Christ as Savior. But if I had not continued to follow Jesus, I never would have been there. And by the way, I could tell you lots of stories where I didn't do it right. But, but if you choose to follow Jesus, he's going to work in your life. He's going to change you. He'll do miraculous things. I don't know how many people I have I've run into who their, their, their mother, their father is in the hospital and it's getting close to the point of death and they're so struggled. They've tried to share the gospel. They've had things, right? And so they've been faithful. They've prayed and they let me know and I've gone in and people leave the room and I share the gospel and the person receives Christ. And that, that goes to the credit of, of everything that God had done through their who, who kept following Jesus and loved them and showed them. So it's the best thing you could ever do. Best thing you could ever do for yourself, too. Okay, I don't need to elaborate on that. But if you still find yourself a little fearful, this idea of going that all in with Jesus, right? Jesus comes first before everything, period. Uh, hate your family, what, you know, yourself. If you find yourself fearful of, of going in with the Lord on that, remember who he is. And remember what he's like. This is the one who's calling you. He's the one who also says to you, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Go ahead. Go to the next slide there. And you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so this idea of a yoke, you know, you put the yoke on the oxen to, to have them work and to go and you, the person can control them. And so Jesus says we need to put his yoke on us so he can lead us and control us. And when you aren't wearing that yoke and you look at it, you say, eh, I, that seems hard. That seems, that's a little too religious. So all that kind of stuff, you're afraid of it. You never know the truth about this yoke until you put it on. 
And it's, it's when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Yes, Jesus, you do come first. I, I know things in my life don't all line up to that. I know I'm not always clearing what that means. But really, Jesus, I want you to lead me. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be your disciple. And you put on that yoke. And all of a sudden you discover this isn't what I thought it was. Oh, this is bigger than I thought. It's better than I thought. Scarier than I thought. More exciting than I thought. But in it, he gives you rest. He gives you peace. When you choose to go forward with him. This is the one who's calling you. And you can't really, I would say to you, this idea that, that you know, coming to the Lord and finding rest of your souls doesn't apply when you are not following Jesus. I mean, the invitation's there, but you understand what I'm saying? This is what it says in Hebrews. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. He is never going to forsake me. He is always there. He has always worked. He is always being faithful. Even when I'm not, I don't have to be afraid to follow Jesus. I don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid to follow Jesus. Whatever that means in your life right now. There's a, a preacher named Woodrow Kroll, had a start in Massachusetts, but became a, a well-known Bible teacher on the radio. And, but he said this, God won't light your second step until you've taken the first one. So you're here today saying, what do I need to do? Maybe you already have a pretty clear idea of what following Jesus means for you, what the next thing is. Maybe you already have that, but maybe you don't. It wouldn't surprise me if you don't. Well, for sure the very next step could be to you settle in your heart once and for all and say to the Lord, okay, Lord, I'm going to follow you, right? I'm going to follow you. I don't care what that means. A scary thing to say, you think, but remember who's called you. Whatever it costs, wherever I have to go, whoever I have to deal with, whatever, Lord, I'm going to follow, that would be an excellent first step. And I made that decision in my life. I told you about it. I can tell you, but that was a point in my life when I finally said, okay, God, whoever, wherever, whatever, whenever, however, I will follow you. And boy, has he been patient. <laughs> but he held me to it. He was faithful. And so if, if nothing else, take that first step. And when you take that first step, then the Lord can show you the second step. Surrender to the Lord in these things today. And remember, here's the bottom line, this first part of this hard side of Jesus. Jesus and living for him. In fact, read it with me again, would you? Jesus and living, read out loud with me. Jesus and living for him comes before every relationship I have and every person I know, including myself, right? Remember that he comes first, period. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and thank you for your word. And I thank you for this great calling that you have on our lives, Lord, that you've not only saved us, but you have things of eternal significance to do in us and through us into the world around us. And I pray, Father, we won't miss that. I pray that we'll see this invitation from you as, as worth pursuing, knowing that we will find you faithful in it. I pray, Lord, for anyone here who hasn't ever taken that first step or they're realizing that maybe their faith, 
They didn't have a genuine salvation experience. I pray for them or someone just hearing the first time, Lord, they would right now just open their hearts and say, yes, Lord, I accept you as Lord and Savior. Work in our lives, Father. Be glorified in us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.